What are the most common tax filing mistakes that we often make? It's Seven Figures. I'm Sandy Waters. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to the weekly podcast. We're working towards financial independence. Each week, we invite in financial experts that will give you the necessary tips that you need to put you on the path towards seven figures and ultimately financial independence. This podcast is everything you need to know about money, how to earn money, how to save and build up a nest egg, and how to achieve the end goal of retiring comfortably. This week's podcast specifically is a good one for all of us. We cash in with our experts, CPAs and partners of Petrella Phillips, Tom Petrella and Michael Phillips. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. We're talking the word that we all hate. Taxes. (laughs) Taxes. Yeah. <laughs> so we may. We love them. We like them. <laughs> yeah, you guys are the only ones. All right. So clarify what is a CPA? What do you guys do? So a CPA is a certified public accountant. And that means that we've passed uh, a basically a three day examination. When Tom and I took the exam, it was taken under the most in, unhumane conditions possible. Uh, today, the CPA candidates have it easier. They do it mostly at a computer based exam center. Tom and I took the exam uh, in the old armory on Culver Road. Oh, wow. Uh, I would have loved to take it in the armory now. It'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a CPA has, has a college degree, usually a Bachelor of Science. Different schools offer different Bachelors of Science. Our Bachelor of Science from St. John Fisher are actually a Bachelor of Science in Accounting. Right. A lot of different institutions just have a Bachelor of Science or a, bachelor of, a Bachelor's of Administration uh, with a concentration in Accounting. We also have continuing education requirements to do 40 hours a year okay. uh, in order to maintain our license. We're able to certify and, and do perform audits and other types of financial procedures at businesses. Most of a CPA's time is generally spent in the tax arena. Other types of preparers are just people who, who have a shingle and a, and a storefront. And many of them are very qualified to prepare taxes. A lot of them do follow the requirements for education a lot of them have voluntarily registered with the IRS to be a registered tax return preparer, which is an IRS program to assure the public that people who are preparing taxes independently do meet a certain basic level of certification and education requirements. You're coming to a CPA for two reasons. We, we like to feel that you're, you're seeking out the highest standard, if you will, in, in the product that you're going to receive and the overall knowledge base that's put into that product and the outcome of that product. Okay. When we talk about taxes, what are the things that are mostly overlooked by the normal individual? Because I'll be honest, I wait for my tax preparer to ask me questions as opposed to me asking. Depending on your field and where you're coming from, that would start the conversation and what we think you would need. Your mileage, you travel for work. Do you take clients out to lunch for work? Those deductions. So they all counts. All those deductions as count. Deductions, mileage. Well, actually, it depends. Okay. It, well, of course again, it depends, you, right? you, you, it depends because you assess all this data. You assess everything you do during the day and your expenses for everyday life as for your job. And then we would see if it's deductible. What are some deductions that people overlook that they don't even realize they could be a deduction? Is there there's something that comes in, to mind in the in the in the charity in the charitable contribution area? Um, many people in in Rochester, we have a, a long history of people volunteering. So if you're volunteering for your church, your synagogue, a youth group, um, um, lollipop farm, and you spend money out of pocket to perform as a volunteer, those are out of pocket volunteer expenses, which are deductible. 
Now, just because they're deductible doesn't mean we can deduct them on your taxes, because okay. if a person were taking the standard deduction, then we, even though you have deductible expenses, they're not deductible. But that's right. thing, those are things that we should be keeping track of starting But now. those yes. things you should keep track of. Everything you do in your daily life for your job should be, should be tracked. Okay. Because it could be potential deductions. Sure. If you're volunteering and you have to pay for your parking uh, to go somewhere to volunteer, that would be an out-of-pocket volunteer expense, which you could deduct. So okay. if a person were volunteering at, at a hospital and you have to pay $5 or $8, whatever it may be, to park your car and you go twice a week, that's actually an out-of-pocket deduction. Along with your mileage. Along and with the your mileage, mileage to get there. Because it's a charitable mile to drive to the place where you're performing the work. You know, we all know people buy things for for if there's a church event or a synagogue event, and you go and buy something to help out with something. Um, you know, they're they're doing a little a party or something, and you go and you spend uh, twenty five dollars uh, at Target and buy you know yeah. paper plates and napkins, and you give them to your your charitable oh, agency. Okay, that those would are be those little things. Those those little things. Help it to the classroom because oftentimes parents are asked. To well, donate. That's actually different. When a parent is buying stuff for their children's school, that's actually not a deduction. Now, if a teacher is buying stuff. That is a deduction. But, but there's two parts to that. So the right. teachers get the educator deduction, which is a $250 uh, adjustment to income. But if a teacher spends way more than that, then they, you can't take the educator's deduction. You have to take it as an itemized deduction. But the itemized deduction is Schedule A. They may not meet the threshold to take them as a deduction. Okay. All right. Um, now, when when we talked about mileage, there are so many apps out there and services that you can pay and they'll keep track of your mileage. If you're in sales, some people think that's a good idea. Is it worth it paying, investing no, it, in these it, apps? It is worth it. And okay. the IRS will deny mileage without a log of some kind. Those okay. apps are very useful. Whether, okay. it's, whether it's a manual so it's log, it. it's okay. definitely worth it. Without that log, the IRS will deny your deductions. Okay, because a lot of salespeople are dealing with that. You you start the year Correct. keeping track of everything, mm -hmm. and then come February, oops, Correct. <laughs> I and, forgot. And, and we also have to be careful and cognizant that a lot of times the taxpayer is getting reimbursed for part of those miles. Correct. Okay. So the, the current mileage rate is $0.54 cents a mile. So, but a lot of employers say, well, we'll give you 30 cents for every mile. The difference is deductible. The difference is deductible. Okay. Again, subject to other things in your tax return, is even though it's deductible, it doesn't mean you can Well, and the other thing it. people don't know, which we found out this year that, you know, we, we try to educate people is that, you know, a lot of people charge their, like a sales force of some kind, they'll charge all their items that they want to deduct, okay? So it's for tracking reasons, but you need to keep the receipts, Without the receipts, New York State will disallow deductions. Even though it's on your credit card statement? Correct. Mm -hmm. And the theory is that you could be charging somebody else's expenses. They don't know that. Oh. We've run into that twice already yeah. last year. Okay. What are the chances of common people being audited? There's actually, there's different types of audits. An audit always sends chills down the spines yep. of a taxpayer. So you basically have a, a letter audit. Um, and the most common, uh, and when we get clients to get these letters, the first thing we ask them is, Read us the, the letters and numbers at the top of the form that you get from the IRS. The most basic. The most basic. It's, 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 it's called the CP2000, and CP stands for computer process. That form that a taxpayer receives, generally about eight to ten months after they file a return, is a notice of the proposed adjustment. And, and that's the key that we tell our clients. It says it's proposed. It hasn't been, it hasn't been stamped in stone. 
And what that means is that the IRS is doing a document match between what was reported to them by your bank, by your employer, by your mortgage company, um, by your, 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 um, your brokerage account, your IRA, mm-hmm. what was reported to the IRS versus what was reported on your tax form. So a lot of times if a client forgets to give us something and we don't put it on their form, um, the IRS will send you a notice saying you forgot to report that you had $282 in dividends, you know, from some stock Mm -hmm. and you owe us uh, $82 in tax on it. And that's the most common. Okay. Um, And once we, we go back to the taxpayer, to our client and say, uh, did you forget to give us your $10,000 that you withdrew from your IRA? Well, yeah, I didn't think it was taxable, so I didn't think you needed it. And then the response to that would be we either file an amended return or if we run the return with the new information and the IRS number is correct, we tell the taxpayer the IRS is correct. No, they're not going to be tracking you for the rest of your life. Okay, I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, CB 2000. I'll pay you your money. Right. Because um, oftentimes the majority of us are good, honest people. Yes. And we that's, make just... Silly mistakes right, like right. you just know. And that's why the CP2000, it is, it, it says right on the letter, it said this is a potential error. Okay. Yeah. Because the IRS, if you sold the stock, the IRS only knows that you sold it. They have no idea what you bought it for. So they don't know how to assess uh, the problem is they assess a big tax with that letter and it scares everybody. Right. So let's say a person sold $50,000 worth of stock, but they didn't get the money. They just bought another stock with it. Right. So the IRS knows that you sold fifty grand but they don't know that you actually had a cost of 48000 on it and you made $2,000. Okay. So then you file an amended return to report the correct information. The okay. IRS will then reassess the penalty. There's no penalty uh, on a CP2000 um, unless the understatement of tax is severe. Then they can assess a penalty. Generally, just charge you interest. They call it, it's a dumb, dumb mistake. Whoops, you forgot to report it. Okay. Yeah. We'll let it go. Um, and the IRS does have a margin of error that if if when their computers match all your documents together and the tax is less than a certain amount, they won't say what it is, they're not going to bother because it's not worth it for them to try and okay. collect $32.15. Okay. Um, however, another tax agency would send you a letter to collect $32, but we don't want to say who that is. Okay, <laughs> we'll just keep that in. Right. Now, when you spoke about taxes, what is, can you clarify the kitty tax? The kitty tax, if you have children uh, 18 18 and under that have investment income of $2,100 or less, that income gets taxed at the parent's rate. Uh, a lot of times that's missed all the time because, again, the parents and the kids are not doing the returns at the same time. That's another common mistake we see. And if the kids are on the parent's return as a deduction, any income that unearned income that the kids may have will be taxed at the parent's rates on the kitty tax form on that return. Even if the kids file on their own, there's a, still a kitty tax form you would file to be taxed at the parents' rates. Um, again, it, it's a way to keep the, the tax revenues up for people, for parents that are trying to shift revenue to the kids to avoid the taxes. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Year, years ago, parents would put a lot of investments in their kid's name um, and their children's name. They could put 150, 200,000 in a, in a stock account and it earns interest and dividends and the kids don't pay uh, much tax on it or at a very low rate and the kitty tax gets around that by okay. uh, by the, the $2,100 is unearned income. So if, if a taxpayer's interest, interest dividends, if a taxpayer's you know child is, is working at Burger King for the summer, the wages that they have are not taxed at a higher rate. They're taxed at the 
at the child's rate, okay. but the dividends and interest that they have and capital gains are taxed at the parent's rate. So our software programs will take the kids' returns and the parents' returns and, and link them together. We, we call it, it's a family link part of the program. Okay. And, and it runs the report and then it actually will print an additional form with the child's return uh, that, that discloses the parents' information and taxes their interest and dividends at, at the parents' rate. rate on the child's return. It's missed hundreds and hundreds of times. Um, a lot of times when the kids are filing their own taxes and we're not aware of it, um, it, gets, it gets missed because if we don't have mom, dad, and all the kids, we can't compute the kiddie tax. Yeah, it's like the tuition credits. We can't tell you how many times we had to change. You know, kids would file their own returns. Is that we, smart to do it that way? If you have a 16-year-old that's working? <laughs> Nine times out of 10 that the parents should bring the child's return in. Okay. See, again, it goes back to fees, right? Nobody wants to pay to have their child's return done because the child might only made $2,500. Yeah. So they don't want to pay 125 Right. Well, but nine times out of 10, you can save that because of tuition credits, uh, student loan interest deductions that the child may not be able to get themselves. But nobody right. knows that, and the online programs aren't going to tell you that. Yeah, I remember when I was young and I got my job, I filed on my own. Right. So I probably hurt my parents. But then the reasons why kids should file on their own because of financial aid and the ability for them to get financial aid by them filing their own return and saying they're not part of their parents' right. uh, support system. Right. And and so, they're, they're again, and these are all reasons why we need to see the whole picture. And it, it is scary when you tell a client, okay, your, your kid worked and had three summer jobs, made $5,000, and I'm going to charge him $150 to do the return, which for CPA is on the low side yeah. um, to do, and, 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 the, and the kid's going to get back uh, $12. And they're like, well, why do I have to pay you 150 so I can get his 12 back? Well, it's because you're now getting a deduction of 2500 for his tuition credit and the student loan interest that you paid $900, okay. you're deducting that. So you might save 3000 in the parent's return. Right, and it's, costing, oh, okay. and it's costing the kid $75. So go in together. Right. You have got to make Yeah, the okay. split is never good. The split okay. is never good. No. One of and the other biggest tax deductions we see that everybody misses is is the IRA. Everybody thinks because they're in a 401k at work that they can't have an IRA. But if you're single and it's under 62000 gross, you can have a full IRA. If you're married, filing joint, under 99000 you can have it. You know, it a deductible out, IRA. A deductible. It phases out at 118000 But there's a possibility of taking an $18,000 tax deferral, adding another $5,000 to it. So now okay. you can defer 23. But that's up to the IRA has a cap of you have to be making 118,000 if you're it, it phases out at 118 for married filing joint if you're covered by a 401k. If you're both covered by pension plans. Uh, okay. Correct. All right. But a lot of people think just because they're both covered by pension plans that they're not entitled to the IRA. What's another way? Let's this is a good transition into uh, the conversation about, and we've been hearing a lot about it. We don't know much about it, so maybe you guys can help clarify. Cuomo's plan of Free tuition. When we talked about it on the air, a lot of people were saying that they just fall out of range, the $125,000 mark, right after three years, if you make up to $125,000, quote unquote, free tuition. A lot of people, parent, married couples, are falling just outside of that. What do you suggest how they can lower their taxable income so maybe they can take advantage of this free Again, one of the easiest tuition. things is both maxing out their 401ks at work. Okay. And if they can both max out their 401ks at work and they're in that income threshold, it's very possible that they can both take, and if they're over 50, they can both take a $13,000 total IRA deduction, $6,500 apiece. 
So now, but they, the IRA, if you make one hundred eighteen thousand, say they make, but they're now, but their their adjusted gross could get under that one eighteen because of the four hundred one k and the IRA. So, so New York State right now for for the current year for the fall um, first round of the of the college tuition uh, waiver is based on an, an adjusted gross income of $100,000. So if your adjusted gross income and, and that number is at the bottom of your page one of your 1040, the last number on your 1040 says adjusted gross income. That's the number that New York State's looking at. That's the magic number. That's the magic right. number. Adjusted gross um, income. income. So it's 100000 100, this year, and it over the next three years, it, it slowly rises. I, uh, I think in 2020, it's 125,000. Right. Is the is the okay. magic number. The, the the goal is how do you get your federal adjusted gross income below that number? Right. And the there's things that you can possibly do if you're getting close. If you have a bonus coming from your employer, mm-hmm. maybe you can defer your bonus uh, to the next year. So if you're if you're a salesperson and you're making ninety five thousand dollars a year. And your boss said, "Well, you qualified for a bonus, and we're going to give that to you in in December. Um, you know, and it's going to be fourteen thousand dollars. You could possibly ask them if they could defer that one year. That may help you. It's eventually not going to help you, but at least for one year, it may. So to defer income, if possible. Okay. And what Tom was saying by by maxing out your four hundred one k, that lowers your income." Um, Which is eighteen thousand, right? Eighteen, eighteen. If you're over fifty, the catch. There's a, the uh, the six thousand dollar catch up. So there's potential uh, to defer twenty four thousand right off the top. Okay. Um, and but but your four hundred one k depends on what your employer offers and whether right. they let you max out if you're comp- a certain right. compensation and there are other variables there as well. Um, so the key is to lower your your adjusted gross income um, on your federal return. Other adjustments to income would be moving expenses if you moved. For, because it was job related, if you move just because you want to move from Brighton to Pittsburgh, that doesn't count. <laughs> but if you move because you change jobs, then that's another possible uh, deduction. The other one commonly missed, Mike, is the HSA deductions. It helps a single person account. can put thirty four hundred dollars in their HSA account if they have a high deductible plan at work. Uh, a married couple, I think, it's sixty seven sixty seven fifty. They can. Th- those are all items that will. Be used lower your income. lower your AGI to qualify for this free tuition. Now that account is that. Do you guys recommend HSAs are great if you got high deductible plans at right. work. Yes. They only work with a high deductible plan, so you have right. to have right. a, so in order to, to have a health your, savings. You you talk to, to your see. employer. Yeah. Okay. Talk to your employer and see if you have a high deductible, high deductible plan. Plan that that's HSA qualified. Qualified because if you qualified. know you're going to spend X amount of dollars on medical, it'd be foolish not to use it. Okay. Because it comes right off the top of your income. It's tax free. Now, when, when we're trying to hit this magical number to get the college tuition waived, when is it better to file separate as opposed to joint? Well, unfortunately for the, for the New York State requirements, I haven't read the full, uh, the full bill um, okay. and, and how they're going to look at when you have a married filing separate, married filing joint. Yeah, those um, options, I don't even think are listed in there. Yet. They may or may not be. I mean, I, they're I, still I, making this. I'm sure, I'm sure it's still a work in process. Okay. As they, because they could take it away if you file separate. Okay. Yeah, there may there may be reasons um, why they're not going to do it because then you're not relying on the household you know, income. They may put it together and say we're not going to allow it. Right. Uh, we don't. I don't know the answers. And Mike, like you, we you know pointed out earlier that New York State has already has these caveats in there that when you graduate oh, yes. from yes, school, yes. you have to stay and work in New York for a four year period. So if you get a four year or tuition that tuition waiver, is not free anymore, right? If you get a four year tuition waiver. 
when you graduate, you have to work and remain in New York for the period of time in which you had that. Okay. The only exceptions are if you're going to the military or graduate school. But, but even then, you still have to. You still, if you give, you still have to come back to New York and work it back and work it back. No, it's just almost like sweat equity yeah. that you have to give back. Okay, so they're they're trying to encourage young people to not only to go stay. to college in New York but, but stay. to stay in New stay York. Stay in New York, um, and and that becomes a problem because if you graduate in the field and you can't come back and find a job, what are you going to do? Then you'll leave and you'll end up paying the tuition. You, yeah, so that's the way it reads right now. Right. Okay, and like you said, this is it's the. They're still trying to figure this I, out. I too. don't think they have everything ironed out yet. All right, so let's now talk about the 529 plan. If we are saving for college, first, do you highly recommend that? Is there you know, any drawback to that? The only drawback is is you have to have the money to put into the 529 oh, okay. plan. Well, That's you know, a pretty mar- good reason. Married couples could take a ten thousand dollar deduction off the front of their New York State return, and they'll save their tax bracket on it. Let's say it's you know it could be six hundred dollars, it could be nine hundred, depending. Now, on does that lo- does that qualify to get you down? I know uh, you're saving for no, college. No, it's, but... it's based on federal. That, that okay, has, that's that something. Have this is just New, state, New, New York State. New York. Okay. And, it, you know, the 529 is very good because it could grow from 10000 to thirty, and if it's paid for tuition, it's all tax-free. So when you turn it over and pay the tuition, you're not going to pay income tax on it. Um, is it tax-free going in to the 529? Up to your tax bracket on New York on the first 10000 for a joint return, 5000 for single. Okay. And then uh, anything that grows will grow tax-free. That, and that leads into the other uh, people that cash in e-bonds for tuition. That's another missed deduction. It's not taxed because you paid, you cashed in e-bonds to pay for college tuition. U.S. 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 Um, savings bonds that are that are EE bonds, um, they can be cashed in, and the interest that you receive on them tax. is is tax exempt if you're using it to pay tuition. So, okay. comboed with that with the five twenty nine, it's pretty powerful. Sure. So if you're not in a 529 and you can afford to be. Or if you're in both, right. you can take advantage of both, you know, the 529 and the Series E bonds. And it also, the 529 plan has to be a New York 529, New York 529. plan. You can't use a 529 plan and from we, Virginia or Arizona. We've seen a lot of issues with that this year that oh. people thought they could deduct it. But if it wasn't a New York 529, you can't. In New York State, New York State will send a notice saying that we need proof that you're Amount was a was a New York five twenty nine plan, right. and and the New York plans have come up to speed with a lot of the other states. Years ago, we saw huge numbers of clients opening up five twenty nine plans in other states and not deducting it in New York because the plans offered more choices and better investments. And New York State is now on par. You know, with, the other thing that people most people don't know is you can pre fund those five twenty nines if you're a doctor or what have you. Uh, you can pre fund them, I believe, up to five years. So you could no, you don't get the deduction. You get ten thousand per year on a deduction, but you get the power of the investment to grow faster if you can put you know fifty or fifty five thousand in it in one year. It's and it's shel- and it also plays into something else. It's sheltered for nursing homes and estate taxes and everything else. Okay. So there's other tax planning advantages. For okay. And now that money has to be used for college. So if Correct. your child says, you and know, it, what, I'm not going to college. Well, then if you withdraw, you're going to pay tax on it. Correct. And if it's not okay. there more than five years, you're going to pay a penalty too. Uh, money that that you didn't put in though, like when people use do like you promise and things like that. Oh, that's right. not your money, so you don't get the deduction right. for it. So people sign up for you promise, um, and you know by shopping at different yeah. stores, you you accumulate money. It goes into the account, and you can draw it out, right. but you can't get a deduction for it. Five twenty nine plan if you want to save for college in the e bonds. You said 
Yes, U.S. Savings bonds. savings bonds. Right. Okay, um, and you can do both. You can do both. There's a new trend in these quote-unquote side hustles. So selling things on Craigslist, mm. selling things on Etsy, <laughs> uh, a part-time job here and there. At what point do we need to claim all that money? Always. Okay. Always. <laughs> no matter income, what, $5 to 5000 uh, you No, know, Part of it is that, that's again, all income is taxed no matter where you receive it from. Okay. Um, again, there's, it might not hurt you, though. If it it's so it may not even hurt you to claim okay. it because there's deductions you can take against it. Even if even if this income becomes a hobby, let's say, yep. you can take, if you have hobby income, you can take hobby expenses on Schedule 8 off, set that if you itemize. So it won't necessarily always hurt you, okay? But the, the big problem we see with all these, we have people that work a number of jobs, whether it's on a W-2. You might have somebody make 80000 on a W-2 working nine different jobs, and they'll always owe money. The reason is they're not hitting the tables properly so that the taxes don't come out. So anybody that has a number of jobs should consult with the tax preparer or their CPA about adjusting the withholdings. But getting to your question on side businesses like Craigslist and all that, you know, some of those become very lucrative, especially eBay sales and all that, which are tracked now. So those should be reported, have your expenses against it. But what people fail to realize is that income is taxed for um, self-employment tax and Social Security. So the tax on that income is a lot higher than it would be if it went through your payroll. What we see is somebody may make $10,000 on eBay, and all of a sudden they're stuck with a $3,500 tax bill. And they say, well, that's 35%. Well, because you got the, your tax bracket, and now you got the FICA on top of it. Add the state, now you're at 43%. So it gets very costly. Okay. Um, but the you know deductions for those side gigs, you know, correct me, Mike, but now the IRS has to see that those expenses came out of a closed account, if you will. The money goes into one account, a bank account, the expenses come out of that account. If it doesn't go in and out of the same bank account as a business account, the deductions aren't going to be taken. Yeah, the, the IRS wants doesn't want people to commingle their funds. So Personal and business. If you have, oh. if you have a small business in, 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 in the summer and you do uh, landscaping for people, and, you know, let's say you work, you know, you work doing something else and you have another full-time job, but in the summer you want to pick up a few bucks, you have a yeah. pickup truck, and you go and you, you know, mulch somebody's yard and whatever. So you have a couple issues. Number one, um, what the services you're performing are subject to New York State sales tax. Um, New York State, uh, they didn't do it this year, but several years ago they went around looking at guys running, plowing, plowing driveways, and they just basically pulled people over and stopped them and said, you're, you're doing this for cash, Where's your sales tax certificate? So a lot of guys got in trouble because you're performing a service that's subject to sales tax that you're not charging sales tax on. Okay. Which, Again, which is just good, problem. honest people just trying to make a buck. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and whatever they're trying to make, but might cost them three times. Right. But but going back to what we talked about earlier is the IRS notices the CP two thousand. So people who sell on on eBay, um, eBay will generate a ten ninety nine form and report to the IRS how much was purchased through your eBay PayPal account. Okay. Based so on purchase. Based on based on well based on what, what right. you sold, what you collected. So if you're just a, a basic eBay guy and you're doing a couple things here and there and you do three thousand dollars a year and figure I could just put all that money in my pocket, the IRS may send you a notice saying PayPal reported that you took in three grand eBay does not report to the IRS because eBay said they are not a, um, they're not a store. They're just a marketplace. Mm -hmm. So they're just acting as a transaction, a place where the transaction can happen. Mm -hmm. But PayPal 
does report to the IRS what your uh. sales were. So now you get a letter from the IRS saying you had uh, $3,000 of income from PayPal. Uh-oh, uh, is this one of those, don't worry about it? This is one of those letters, well... This dumb, dumb, whatever you this said? This is a dumb, dumb letter. You didn't report okay. it. So now okay. we tell the client, okay, so you, you, you're selling stuff on eBay, um, and now you need to report. Okay, so in order for you to sell something, you had to buy something. Or maybe you just took stuff out of your basement and sold it. Yeah. So if that's the case, then you can you know what the cost and the cost is, and you report on the return that you took in, yes, I took in this money, but you paid eBay fees, you paid PayPal fees, you paid fees to go buy boxes and foam and paper to pack and ship the stuff up. So you may not have any income. But I think the point of the whole thing is that, you know, people at all these side gigs, they think it's just casual here and there, but it creates a bookkeeping nightmare that they don't even know about. Right. But back to your point about, about what you need to report and what you don't, any kind of, anything you're doing, with the intent to make profit uh, is really a reportable transaction. Yeah. Um, and, and the IRS, uh, they have something called the tax gap uh, that they're trying to shrink. And it's the amount of income that the IRS knows is being earned, but not reported. A lot of the eBay sales. Are okay. it's, it's eBay sales. It's, it's, you know, and it runs everything from contractors, you know, to, to people who walk your dog, you know, pet sitters um, that, that are running businesses that are not, Paying taxes. Yeah. Um, okay. And again, even if you do claim it, there's always legal ways to trim that down where it doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. Right. You can take IRAs against these things. You can take deductions. You can take mileage. You can take vehicle expenses. The okay. only thing you can't do is continually have a business that's always showing a loss because the IRS can come back and say, it's a hobby. this isn't really a business. It's now time for our ROI, our return on investment. You dedicated your time to this podcast and we appreciate it. One big umbrella theme when it comes to taxes and what we can do right now to better prepare ourselves for the year end. Making sure that you have an organization structure at home to track your medical, your personal property taxes, which is another, you know, people forget, you know, their timeshares. The real estate taxes, real, time real estate taxes on their timeshares are deductible. Uh, your charity donations. Probably the biggest thing that people should remember is if you came out of this tax season and you owed a lot of money, then you really should spend time with your tax preparer this summer to look at your return when we're not under the pressure of tax season mm-hmm. and say, why did I owe? And say, I want to sit down and figure out what went wrong. In addition to organization, is any lifestyle change during the year? Check with your professional to see if it changes your time. When you're retiring, check with us. Thank you so much for uh, for coming in. Um, Our pleasure. This was a lot of fun. This is great. Divorce can ruin you financially. How to protect yourself before, during, and after a divorce. We cash in with author from Freeing Yourself Financially, Kristen Paul. She's been through it and has some guidance for us next week on 7 Figures on Twitter at 7 Figures Pod.